Well, good to see y'all. Uh, this morning when uh, Pastor Brad asked, you know, for those online to put who their favorite pastor is, um, we have Pastor Justin's daughter, Chloe, is hanging out with us today. She wanted to hang out with Laura, which, come on, who doesn't want to hang out with Laura? And so she said, can I just hang out with you and be in big kid church today instead of being in Connecting Point Kids? And he said, yeah. And so when Pastor Brad said, who's your favorite pastor? I leaned over and said, Chloe, and I gave her the look, you know, said, Chloe, who's your favorite pastor? And I really expected for her to say her dad. Her dad's a pastor. And she looked up at Brad and went. <laughs> so I don't know that we'll win. I know. I know. Don't let it go to your head, Pastor Brad. So. Hey, uh, before we jump into what I want to talk to you about this morning, if you missed last week, I want to encourage you to go back and, and watch that service online. We had Ron Stiles with us from the Nathan Project, and he told a little bit of his story, and uh, you, you, you don't want to miss out on that. It was a great conversation, and his story is so powerful, and they're doing great things through the Nathan Project, uh, which, by the way, if you weren't here last week, there's a table out in back, and uh, there's some books there uh, titled, Why Live for Anybody Other Than than Jesus, which is the story of his son, Nathan, and the journey that Connie and uh, Ron have been through over the past almost 11 years now. And uh, I, I, those are free. And so take one of those if you didn't get one last week. And also, if you don't have a Bible, there are some uh, New Living Translation Bibles back there. They're a great uh, student Bible and have some good notes in them. And so we want you to have one of those as well. And then also back there, last week was also our Faith Promise Sunday. And so the reason we had Ron here sharing about the Nathan Project is this next year, that ministry is one of the ministries that we're going to support financially. And so if you didn't have an opportunity last uh, week, there are some Faith Promise pledge cards back there. And I encourage you to grab one and prayerfully consider what God might have you give over the coming year. Make a promise in faith that over the next year you'll give X amount of dollars towards the cause of missions around the world. So we do mission work and support missionaries here locally, uh, throughout the state, uh, throughout our nation, and internationally. And so we want to encourage you to do that and grab one of those. And you can fill one of those out and then stick it in one of the, the buckets and, and then begin to give. And, and as always, uh, we make it really easy around here to just worship the Lord through giving. You can go to our website and you can click the giving tab and you can sign up for reoccurring giving there like uh, all of the staff has done and most of, most of you have done that already. But it makes it really easy for us to give consistently, and it helps the ministry of the church go forward. So it's a win-win situation. Well, let me ask you this. How many here this morning like stories? Anybody like stories? Okay. A few of you. Yeah. For those of you who don't, sorry. Uh, but I'm going to tell a story. I, I heard a, a great story a couple weeks ago, and some of you may have heard this before, but it's about this bagpiper who was invited to play his bagpipes at a graveside service for a homeless man. And he was told right from the beginning that just be prepared because this man, he had no, no family, really didn't have any friends to speak of. And so uh, the bagpiper was told that when you get there, don't expect for anybody to be there other than maybe the funeral, funeral director and, and probably a few employees of the cemetery. And so the man agreed that this was a good opportunity for him just to serve. And so he decided, that he would do it and uh, the service was to be held in this little rural cemetery way out in the middle of the country and wouldn't you know on his way out typical man got lost 
And so he's driving these dirty, dusty country roads, trying to find this little cemetery. And of course, this is out in the middle of nowhere, so there's nobody to ask for directions. And, and so after driving up and down these roads for quite some time, finally, off in the distance, he sees this little cemetery. And so he pulls in, and by the time you know that he gets there, he's over an hour late, and uh, he looks around, and the funeral director's nowhere to be found, and the, the hearse is gone, and the only people that are left are three members of the digging crew. Well, the bagpiper felt terrible, and so he sheepishly kind of, you know, he walks up to the grave, his bagpipe in hand, looks down into the grave and sees that the vault lid has already been placed uh, on top there, and he's extremely embarrassed, and so he turns to the diggers, and he says, I'm sorry for being late, but if it's okay, I'd like to just go ahead and, and play a song before you finish your work. And they're like, you know, whatever, go for it. And so he, he begins to play that great old song of the church, Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound That Saved a Wretch Like Me. And I don't know if you've ever heard that song uh, played on bagpipes, but it's beautiful, and, and it, it was beautiful, and he just plays his heart out, and it's incredibly moving. In fact, it's so beautiful that the workers are so moved that they remove their hats, they bow their heads, and they begin to weep. And so they're weeping, and he starts to weep, and they're all weeping together, and finally he, he finishes and he respectfully packs up his bagpipes and as he begins to walk towards the car, his heart is, is full. You know, he's like, I, I think I did a good thing here. Even though it didn't start out great, I, I think, you know, obviously what I did had an impact here. And so he's pretty proud of himself. And as he opens the door to his car, he overhears one of the diggers turn to the other and say, man, have you ever experienced anything like that before? To which the other digger replied, no. In all of my years putting in these septic tanks, I've never had anybody do this before. <laughs> I love that story. And it, you know, it's a reminder. There's something about a great story that just kind of draws us in, isn't there? Um, in fact, I think as human beings, we're just kind of wired in such a way that we are built for stories. We just naturally get drawn into a good story. And I think that's probably why Jesus told so many stories. Uh, Jesus was a master storyteller. In fact, if, if you look through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, you'll find, and John is one of the Gospels as well, but you don't see as much in John. But in those first three, you find that Jesus is telling story after story after story. And, and he tells these stories, they're called parables, uh, which a parable is simply a story that is intended to reveal a deeper moral or spiritual truth. And in Jesus' case, he tells these stories, these parables, and they're intended to reveal some deep heavenly truths, heavenly, heavenly realities. The stories that Jesus told, they were earthly stories about everyday things that people would be familiar with, but they had this deep heavenly meaning. 
And I've been wanting to do this for a while, but this morning we're going to begin a brand new series and we're calling it Tell Me a Story. And what we're going to do, we're actually going to do this through the entire summer. We're going to look at some of the stories that Jesus told. We're not going to look at all of them. There's somewhere around 40 parables or something like that that Jesus told, but we're going to look at a few of them. We want to begin this morning with a parable that Jesus told that's found in Matthew chapter 13. So if you've got your Bibles or your Bible apps, I want to encourage you to turn there. Uh, Matthew chapter 13. I'm going to begin reading with verse 24. And again, this is from the New Living Translation. And so whatever translation you may be looking at may look a little bit different. But this is what it says. It says, here is another story that Jesus told. The kingdom of heaven is like a farmer who planted good seed in his field. But that night as the workers slept, his enemy came in and planted weeds among the wheat, then slipped away. When the crop began to grow and produce grain, the weeds also grew. The farmer's workers went to him and said, Sir, the field where you planted that good seed is full of weeds. Where did they come from? An enemy has done this, the farmer explained. Well, should we pull the weeds, they asked. No, he replied. You'll uproot the wheat if you do. Let both grow together until the harvest. Then I will tell the harvesters to sort out the weeds, tie them into bundles, and burn them, and put the wheat in the barn. So Jesus begins this story in the way that he begins many of his stories. He he begins by saying, this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. This is, this is what I want you to understand about the kingdom of heaven. Now, this is really important because by the time that Jesus comes on the scene, what you have to understand is that the Jewish people have been waiting for hundreds of years for the Messiah to come. And their expectation when the Messiah came was that he would either bring with him or he would raise a massive army to overthrow their oppressors, the Romans, and set the people free and establish a brand new kingdom. And in this kingdom that the Messiah was supposed to establish, in this kingdom, all of them would prosper and everything would be the way that God intended for it to be. And so this is what they had expected for hundreds and hundreds of years. And so here comes Jesus onto the scene. And there are people like John the Baptist who when Jesus comes onto the scene, they're like, look, it's him. There he is. The Messiah has come. The Messiah is finally here. This one that we've been waiting for, this is him. This is the guy. And the people, when they see Jesus and they they begin to hear that he's the Messiah, the people are like, sweet, Where's your army? (laughs) I mean, we've got this idea of what you're supposed to do, and and where is your army? Because you're going to deliver us from the oppression of Rome. And, And instead of doing that, Jesus really confuses the people because instead of delivering them from the oppression of Rome, instead he does things like inviting tax collectors who 
are the agents of Rome. They're the, they're the individuals, usually Jewish people, who Rome has hired and, and they, they accumulate great wealth by really just pillaging the people of their money, transferring all of the wealth of the Jewish people into the hands of the Roman people. And instead of raising this great army, instead of delivering them from Rome, instead Jesus does things like actually healing a Roman soldier's servant. He, he, does, he does all of these things, and at the same time, life for the average Jewish person is still tough. They're, they're still oppressed. There's still a bunch of messed up stuff in their world. And so in their minds, they're like, wait a second. I thought the kingdom of God is here. So what's the deal, Jesus? We don't get it. Why are things such a mess if the kingdom of God indeed has come? You see, what Jesus was trying to teach them, and I think us as well, is that, first of all, the kingdom of God is not bound by our timeline. The, the, the kingdom of God is not dependent on what we think should happen either. That the kingdom of God doesn't always work the way that we think it's supposed to work. This is why it's called the kingdom of God and not the kingdom of Doug, or the kingdom of Sam, or the kingdom of Joe. It's the kingdom of God for a reason. And so what Jesus is trying to help him understand is, with my coming, the kingdom is indeed here, but it may not look like exactly what you thought in your own mind it would look like. Okay, so with that as a backdrop, let's jump back into this story. And, and there are three principles that I just want to kind of hone in on this morning. If you're taking notes, you might want to write this down. But the first principle is this. According to Jesus, and according to this story, there are only two kinds of people in the world. Only two kinds of people. Those who are for Jesus, those who belong to Jesus, and those who are against Jesus, those who belong to the enemy, is what the story says. And, and here Jesus does what he often does, is he, he breaks it down really in simple terms, and he break, breaks people down into just two categories. Here he calls them wheat and weeds. In other places, he talks about sheeps and goats. Sometimes he talks about sheep and wolves. But the point is this, according to Jesus... Each of us can only fall into one of two categories. You're either for Jesus or you're against Jesus. You're either with him or you're without him. You're either connected to him or you're disconnected from him. This is so important to understand because when it comes to Jesus, what we have to understand is there is no third option. There, there's no third option. He says, either you're part of my family, or, he says it very plainly and quite frankly, very harshly, he says, you're either part of my family or you're an enemy of mine. But again, this is so important because the truth is there are so many people, especially in this culture, who believe and try to live in this kind of this state of neutrality when it comes to God. You know, there are so many people that are like, you know, I, I like Jesus. I don't have anything against Jesus. He seems to be a nice guy. But I'm not 
sure that I really want to do all the Jesus stuff that all you Christians have to do. You know, the whole following all the rules, going to church, giving my money. I mean, I'm fine with Jesus, but I just think I ought to be able to do whatever it is that I want to do. If you want, you can try that. But according to Jesus, it will not work. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 30, Jesus says this. He says, anybody who's not with me opposes me. And anyone who's not working with me actually is working against me. In 1 John chapter 2, John writes this. He says, whoever says, I know him, I know Jesus, or I'm following Jesus, or I love Jesus, or I believe in Jesus. You can put any of that language in there. Whoever says, I know him, but, not do, but does not do what he commands, John says, he's a liar. And the truth is not in that person. He goes on to say, but if anyone obeys his word, then love for God is truly made complete in that person. And this is how we know that we are in him. Whoever claims to be in him, John says, must live as Jesus did. In other words, do the things that Jesus did. Follow his commands. Love the things that Jesus loved. Hate the things that Jesus hated. Just Follow Jesus' example. And so Jesus says, he says, there's only two camps that you can fall into. You're either with me or you're my enemy. You're either wheat or you're weeds. Now, I found this interesting. Some of you may, may know this, but I just learned this recently. Um, did you know that there are, are somewhere around 20 different species of wheat I had no idea that there were so many different kinds of wheat. I read a little bit about this this past week, and what I discovered is that there are some species of wheat that grow better in certain areas of the country and the world than other areas of wheat. And so there, there's some wheat that thrives in cold environments where there are other types of wheat that won't grow in the cold. There are some kinds of wheat that do better in dry environments while others uh, thrive in and need more water. And so I, I thought about that, and I thought, you know, I think it's really interesting that Jesus chose to call his followers wheat. Maybe the reason that he did that is because he understood that all of his followers may not look, act, or think the same way about things. <laughs> Maybe there would be some differences amongst his followers. Still followers, but maybe there's some differences. One, one of the things I love about, you know, we talk about the big C church, and so that's the church of Jesus Christ. That's the global church of Jesus. And then we talk about the little C church. We're, we're the little C church. But one of the things I love about the big C church of Jesus is that there is so much room for variety. And I'm convinced that one of the things that breaks the heart of Jesus is when in the church we attempt to accuse wheat of being weeds. I think that breaks Jesus' heart. When, when we try and accuse wheat of being weeds, simply because they look different, act different, talk different, or, or think differently about a certain issue than we do. And unfortunately, I see this happen all the time, especially, and you guys know this, I have this love-hate relationship with social media, but it is just so evident in that arena that there are certain people who somehow they have convinced themselves that their spiritual gift 
is to criticize other Christians. And they believe that that's, that's my calling in life. And I'm going to criticize people that I don't believe with. And I'm going to call them out on social media. And, and I've said this um, to a number of people. But, but, but I, I would hate to be a, a high-profile pastor. Because it, it seems like no matter who it is, whether it's Rick Warren, Stephen Furtick, T.D. Jakes, Joel Osteen, you can pick whoever it is that you want to pick. Anybody who has any kind of platform at all, there is always somebody who is under the delusion that it is their Christian duty to let the world know what a heretic that person is. And it is their, their sole calling in life is to get on and criticize and pick apart anything that they disagree with. And, and the thing that I find interesting is that most of the time, the, the person who is doing the criticizing these guys are doing absolutely nothing positive for the kingdom of God. I mean, all they're doing is criticizing. They don't, they don't have a positive impact on anybody. They're not leading anybody to Jesus. All they're doing is being critical. And for those folks, I would suggest, you know, there's lots of scripture that we could point to, but I would suggest maybe just read what Paul has to say in Ephesians chapter four, where he begins by saying, be completely humble. In other words, understand, you don't know as much as you think you know. One of the things that I've discovered is that when I was, you know, when I was 25 years old, I thought I knew everything. And, and what I've discovered is I didn't know hardly anything. And the older I get, the less I understand that I know. And there are some things that I was certainly convinced about. You know, it's, parents, you understand this. The greatest expert on kids are the people who haven't had kids yet. <laughs> right? And what I've discovered is, is that my 55-year-old self would have a lot of debate with my 25-year-old self because there are things that I have begun to discover as I've experienced God in my life that I'm like, man, I was so wrong about that. And so Paul says, we ought to be humble, understanding that we don't know it all. Be humble. Then he goes on and he says, and be gentle. In other words, there are times that we can have those types of conversations, but as we have them, we ought to be charitable, our job is not to pick people apart and destroy people. We need to be gentle. He says, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. And then he goes on to remind us. He says, you need to remember that there is one body, one Spirit, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one, one uh, God, and one Father of all. <laughs> You ought to remember that. And so the truth is, you know, if you confess Jesus is Lord, we're in the same family. You know, you know it's hard, and, and in a family, it's hard to agree on everything. Laura and I don't agree on everything. She's usually right, but I still disagree with her once in a while. But, but the truth is, we agree in the family of God on way more than we disagree on. And, and, and I don't know about you, but I don't have time for family squabbles. I mean, while we're fighting with each other, the truth is, people are dying. 
And while we're arguing with each other, there are people who need to hear about the love of Jesus Christ. And there are people that need to hear that God is for them and not against them. And, and they, they need to hear that, that God is, is a God who loves them and cares for them and sent his son for them. And, and if all they ever see are a bunch of negative people who don't like each other and are mean to each other and can't get along with each other, I mean, who would want to be a part of that? Now don't get me wrong, because in order to be in the family of God, there are some things that we have to believe in. That there are some essentials to the faith, essential beliefs that we must have. And so, for instance, we have to believe that Jesus really was and is God incarnate. That Jesus was born of a virgin, immaculately conceived by the Holy Spirit. That, that he was born of a virgin, he is God incarnate. We have to believe that he died on the cross and he rose again on the third day, that we are saved not by anything that we can do on our own, but by grace through faith in him and him alone. And those things are deal breakers. You can't call yourself a Christian if you don't believe in those things. But then there are a whole bunch of other secondary beliefs. Beliefs that center around things like predestination and eternal security, about how the gifts of the Spirit are expressed and manifest, and things like, you know, whether there was literally a six-day creation or whether God's creative work was done over time. These, these, don't get me wrong, I mean, these are important things, but they're not deal breakers according to Scripture. And, and different Christians sometimes have different opinions as we try to interpret scripture about these secondary issues. And the truth is that we tend, the reason that there are so many different denominations, people ask me all the time, why are there so many churches? Why are there so many different denominations? Well, the truth is we tend to gravitate to the groups of people who are passionate about the secondary issues that we're passionate about. That's why there are so many different denominations, which is a good thing, by the way. We ought to celebrate that. But unfortunately, sometimes people in one group will decide that it's their job to badmouth people in another group who, who may hold a different view on secondary issues. And when that happens, they have forgotten what Jesus said. We're all wheat. We're wheat. Jesus said, you're either for me or you're against me. And the problem is that when when Christians attacked other Christians, rather than pointing people to Jesus and furthering the mission of Jesus, instead, we actually undermine the mission of Jesus. Got one amen on that. This is true. In John chapter 13, verse 34, Jesus said this. He said, okay, I'm gonna give you a new commandment. This is the commandment. Love each other as I have loved you. You should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you're my disciples. That's how people know we're followers of Jesus, when we love each other really well. You see, loving other Christians shows the world that we're followers of Jesus while fighting with other Christians, bad-mouthing other Christians, bashing other Christians on social media undermines the message of Jesus Christ and it doesn't attract anybody to Jesus. We don't want to fall into that trap. I believe that Jesus wants Connecting Point Church to be a church where we honor people. 
I believe that he wants us to be a church where we honor people, not just in our own tribe, but other tribes. And listen, we we don't want to be a church where we're known more for what we are against than what we're for. We're for so many good things. We're, We're not looking to be against people. We're trying to find something. We're not trying to find something bad in people. We're trying to celebrate what's best in other people. And we're not looking for an excuse to throw stones at people. We're looking for an excuse to be able to show love to people. If we're known for anything, how about this? How about we just be known for love? Let's be known for that. All right, principle number two. I promise these other two are not near as long as the first one. But principle number two is this. Don't envy weeds. We, we, we don't want to envy the weeds. I don't know why this is. I just know it's true that sometimes there is a temptation for the wheat when we look at the lives of the weeds to actually envy the weeds. <laughs> I mean, when you, when you look at it on the surface, the, the life of wheat seems so restrictive. I mean, you know, wheat has to get planted in a certain time, at a certain order, and wheat can, can only survive in a specific environment, and wheat has to adhere to certain seasons. And weeds, on the other hand, I mean, they just kind of pop up wherever they want, and they, they just kind of, uh, you know, wherever they are, they do what they want to do, and they just kind of suck up all the water and all the nutrients, and, and, and wherever they are, it just seems like they take over the place, and it looks like, you know, wherever weeds are, when they begin to take over, they're always thriving, and some of you are like, did you drive by my lawn this week? And No, but you know how that is. I mean, they just take over, and it looks like they're thriving, You see, this is something that the people in Jesus' day and the people that he was ministering to were struggling with. You think about it, most of the people that Jesus ministered to and most of his followers came from the bottom of the socioeconomic scale. In fact, Jesus would say things to them like, you know, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. In other words, I don't really have anything, you know, I don't even have a home. He was their leader. And then, you know, he, he, in Luke chapter 10, when he sends out the 72, he tells them, and this is crazy because this is his pep talk. I mean, think about this. He says, hey, guys, I'm sending you out, and you're going to be like lambs among wolves. He says, and by the way, you know, when you go, if you have anything, most of you don't. I know most of you don't have anything, but if you do, don't take it with you. I mean, don't take any money with you, don't take any shoes with you, don't take a change of clothes with you, because as you go out, what you're going to have to do is you're just going to have to simply rely on the kindness of other people. In other words, what Jesus was trying to help them understand is, you're going to be wheat among the weeds. And you need to be prepared because on the surface, when you go out, it's going to look like the weeds are thriving. And here you are, you're following me and you're struggling and they're not and they're thriving. So what's that all about? You ever feel like that? Here, here I am trying to follow Jesus. I'm trying, to, I'm trying to resist sin. I'm trying to do what's right. I'm trying to follow his commands. And, and here's the rest of the world. They, they don't give a rip about Jesus, and they're doing whatever it is that they want to do. And, and yet it seems like I'm struggling, and they're the ones that are getting ahead. Come on, let's be honest. Sometimes it does look that way, doesn't it? I'm trying to do what's right. I'm trying to follow Jesus, and, and I'm the one who's struggling financially. 
I'm trying to follow Jesus. I'm trying to obey his commands. And my kid is the one who rebelled. And I'm trying to follow Jesus. And I'm, I really want to seek him with all of my heart. And yet, I'm the one who got cancer. And then look at them. I mean, they don't even give a rip about God, living immoral lives, taking advantage of other people, doing whatever it takes to get ahead, and it seems like it's working. What in the world is up with that? I think the writer of Hebrews talks about this in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 25. When he he talks about what he calls the fleeting pleasures of sin. Come on, let's be honest. There is pleasure in sin for a season. If, if that weren't true, it wouldn't be tempting. I, I, think, I think we need to stop. You know, sometimes the, the church is guilty trying to sell people a certain bill of goods that we need to stop trying to convince people that sin is not enjoyable. Sin can be fun for a season. It's just where it leads isn't fun. But what it produces isn't fun. I mean, come on, partying can be fun. I I know this from experience, but I also need to know that where it leads is not fun. Hangovers are not fun. Addiction is not fun. Detox centers are not fun. Car accidents are not fun. Jail is not fun. Having sex outside of God's directive in marriage can be fun. Where it leads is anything but fun. A broken family is not fun. Being used for somebody else's personal gratification and then being casually tossed aside is not fun. A guilty conscience is not fun. Sexually transmitted diseases are not fun. Emptiness is not fun. No no real intimacy and connection is not fun. You see, folks, the Bible tells us that there is pleasure in sin for a season, but it also says in the end it only leads to emptiness and dissatisfaction. In fact, it says in the end it leads to death. At the end of the story, Jesus says, there's coming a day when all of the weeds are going to be pulled up and thrown into a fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You see, folks, we have to understand that ultimately there will come a day when we all are going to have to give an account for how we chose to live our lives. Did we choose to submit our lives to Jesus? In other words, were we wheat? Or did, and did our lives produce good fruit? Or did we choose to live according to our own will? Did we choose to live as weeds, sucking up all that we could, and in the end, producing nothing of any value? The Bible says there is coming a day of judgment. And I know that we're living in a day and age where preaching about hell, it's not popular. Some people would say it's not loving. I would say this, it's more loving not to talk about it. Or it's less loving to not talk about it. Sorry about that. And people wonder, you know, how can a loving God send anybody to hell? And, and, and what I want you to understand this morning, God has doing, is doing everything that he can to keep anybody from going to hell. 
I mean, there's nobody here this morning that, but let's say that you know, we were standing out here on the edge of 70th Street during rush hour and there's cars that are zooming by and, and, and somebody wanted to just kind of, I'm just gonna jump out in the street and if I'm standing there with him and I say, no, no, don't do it, man. You, you step out there, you're gonna get hit. It's gonna hurt. It's gonna, it's gonna ruin your life. And you're like, no, man, I'm gonna do it anyway. No, don't do it. And so I put obstacles out in front of you. And you climb over the obstacles. I'm dead set. I can do what I want to do. If I want to go into 70th Street, I can go into 70th Street whenever I want. And so the obstacles are there. I shout from the side, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. You're going to regret it. And you do it anyway. And you get hit. Who would say, Doug, why did you send me to that place? God has done everything that he can. He'll put obstacles in your way. He sent Jesus. You're here this morning. You're watching online this morning. I'm telling you. That Jesus wants to do everything. He, he came as a rescue plan for all of humanity in order to rescue us and save us. But he gave us a choice. He's not going to force us into anything. And so we get to choose. And ultimately, there will come a day when each and every one of us will have to give an account. What choice did we make? Jesus said there's coming a day. At least to the last one. So we need to trust God, not only to, to care for the wheat, but also to deal with the weeds. I want to release some of you this morning and let you know it's not your job to deal with the weeds. God will deal with the weeds. Verse, 13, or verse 27, Jesus says, the farmer's workers went to him and said, sir, where the feet in the field where you planted that good seed, it's all full of weeds. Where did they come from? And Jesus tells him, He said, The enemy did it. Came in the middle of the night and he he, he sowed these weeds among the seeds. And 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 so they, they say, Should we pull the weeds? He says, No. If you do, you'll uproot the wheat. Let both grow together until the harvest, and then I will tell the harvesters to sort out the weeds and to tie them into bundles and burn them and put them and then put the wheat in the barn. Over and over and over again, Jesus announces the kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God is here. But his disciples are confused. They're wondering, okay, if the kingdom of God is here, if it's really here, then where did all these weeds come from? Why are there bad people in the world? Why does evil exist in the world? Why, are, why do bad things happen to good people if the kingdom is here? Which, by the way, after 2,000 years, those are the same questions that we still ask, right? God, if, if you're good, then why do you allow evil to exist in the world? God, if you're good, if your kingdom really has come, then, then why do you allow suffering in the world? God, if you're really good and if you've really established your kingdom, then why don't you just step in and stop all of this stuff and just punish all the bad people and set everything right? If you've ever wondered that, you're not alone. I think it's interesting because Jesus' own cousin, John the Baptist, wondered the same thing. Luke chapter 7 John has been thrown in prison for doing the right thing. I mean, he's just announcing that Jesus has come. Repent, Jesus has come, the Messiah is here. And, and he's, he's thrown into prison for doing the right thing while the people who threw him in prison were, were having the party of their lives. 
And in the midst of John the Baptist's suffering, as he sits in this dark, damp prison cell, the thought enters his mind, what if I was wrong all along? What if Jesus isn't really who I thought he was? And so John actually sends some of his disciples to ask Jesus this question. In John chapter 13, verse 19, he sends them to ask the question, are you the Messiah? Or should we be looking for somebody else? Are you the one that we were expecting? Because what we expected is not happening. And so should we be looking for someone else? In other words, he's saying, why aren't you doing what we thought you would do, Jesus? Why, why aren't you doing something to fix this? I'm convinced that that is the question that all of us are confronted with at some point in time in our lives. Jesus, are you really who I thought you were? Jesus, do you really care about me the way that I thought you did? If so, why aren't you doing something? Why aren't you fixing this? And ultimately, I think the real question that we're asking is, Jesus, can I really trust you? In fact, the very first lie when Adam and Eve were in the garden ultimately boiled around that question. Can you really trust God? The, the serpent's lie centered around, can you really trust God? And is God really good? <laughs> Because God's really not good is what the serpent was saying, and so you can't trust him. And, and the truth is that all sin stems from that lie. You cannot trust God, and he's really not good. So I want to encourage you this morning when you're going through hard times and when you're experiencing difficulties in your life, don't fall into the temptation to believe that God is not good. Understand that that lie comes from the enemy. That is the enemy going through the field and sowing weeds. <laughs> the weed of, does God really care? He may care for other people, but if he cares about you, then why is he letting this happening? And the weed of, maybe he's not as good as you think he is. And the weed of, maybe he doesn't even exist at all. Maybe you've just bought into a lie. That's the enemy sowing lies. And, and so we don't want to listen to the lies of the enemy. And I want you to know this morning that God is good. He's always good. He can't help but be anything but good because it's in his DNA. God is good all the time, even when our circumstances may not be good. And there will come a day when God has promised that he will sort everything out. In verse 40 of chapter 13, Jesus gathers his disciples together and he sits them down and he explains this parable. He says to them, he says, you know, just as the weeds are sorted out and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the world. The Son of Man will send his angels and they will remove from his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. And the angels will throw them into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And so I want you to understand this morning that whatever hardship you've had to go through, maybe your heart has been broken, you've experienced loss, you've been hurt or taken advantage of by somebody. For anyone who has suffered in any way because of, of what evil people have done, done evil things, and you wonder why has God not done something? Why did God allow this to happen and why doesn't he do something? First of all, I want to let you know that he did. 
He gave up what was most valuable to him. His son, Jesus, not only to announce that there's a better way to live, but to deal with the issue of sin once and for all. But here's the deal. And we're just wired this way, man. I'm the same way. When it comes to other people's sin, the thing that we want is immediate justice. But when it comes to ours, we long for mercy. We, we long for grace. You see, the bottom line and what we need to understand is that at one time, you and me, we were all weeds. We were all deserving of death. And, and if God would have immediately dealt with our sin and our rebellion, if he would have immediately dealt with the evil in the world, then the truth is that you wouldn't have stood a chance and I wouldn't have stood a chance either. And so really this story, if this story is about anything, it's a story intended to remind us that God is not unkind or uncaring or slow, but rather that God is extremely patient. Second Peter verse 3 talks about this and says that the Lord is not slow in keeping his promises as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. You see, God is patient because he wants to give everyone an opportunity to experience salvation. He wants everyone to be able to forgive, for, uh, experience forgiveness and he wants to give everybody an opportunity to be saved. And so maybe you've thought, you know, why doesn't he end suffering? Why has he let this happen? The answer is because he is patient and he's willing to allow evil to continue for a little while so that those who are called and are chosen, which is all of us, by the way, can be saved. So that we can be saved and come to repentance. But there will come a day when time will run out and evil will be punished and the weeds will be gathered and the wheat will be gathered, and everything will be made right. And so the question this morning is, when that day comes, what category will you be in? Will you be wheat, or will you be weeds? We get to choose. We can either be for him, we can be part of his family, or we can be an enemy. And here's the deal. Around here, there's nothing that we love more than to see weeds transformed into wheat. I once was a weed. Living life the way I wanted to live it. There came a day when I surrendered my life to Jesus and he began to transform me and he changed me from a weed into wheat. Many of you, once you were weeds, and Jesus has transformed your life, and you crossed over from the weed category to the wheat category. And that is God's heart for every single person that's here this morning and listening online. And so I can't close this morning without giving you an opportunity to respond. And so I want to invite every person in this room, your heads bowed and your eyes closed, and 
For those of you who are watching online, I encourage you to do the same thing. And if, if this morning you felt that tug on your heart of, Jesus, I just, I want to be in a relationship with you. I want to surrender my life to you. That's the Holy Spirit. I want to give you an opportunity to do that. And it's very simple. It's just a decision that we make. And so we pray a prayer inviting Jesus to be the forgiver of our sins and the leader of our lives. And so if you want to do that this morning, I just invite you in the quietness of your heart to pray a prayer like this. Jesus, this morning, I recognize that there's only two kinds of people in the world. Those who are connected to you and those who are disconnected to you. Weeds and wheat. Those who are for you and those who, by not being fully for you, in all reality are actually against you. And I just recognized this morning that I've been living in that second category of those that are not with you, those who are against you. And maybe I didn't even know it up until this point. But today I want that to change. I need you. And so I give my life to you. Would you forgive me of my sins? Would you come into my life? Would you begin to transform me and make me more like you? I just receive you today and all that you are. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, if you prayed that prayer this morning, would you do us a favor? If you're watching online, would you just let Amber know that? Just say, hey, I opened my life to Jesus today. We want to celebrate that with you and walk beside you. If you're here this morning and you did that, would you grab one of the pastors, Pastor Brad or Pastor Brian or myself, and say, man, I, I made that decision today, and we want to celebrate you. If you don't have a Bible, grab one before you leave. We want you to have one. I mean, that's what reveals to us who God is and how much he loves us, and we just want, we want to walk with you on that. We've also got a devotional book called My First 30 Days that will get in your hands. And so we'll send you one if you're watching online. If you're here, we'll, we'll make sure that you take one home with you. But we want to do everything we can. We're excited. I mean, if you made that decision, it's the best decision you ever made. This is the first day of the rest of your life. And it's an awesome thing. And so thanks for, thanks for being patient. Why don't you stand with me? And we're going to close out with a song here. Brian, would you lead us?